Hello there. Welcome to the Beloved Son Ministry Show, where we who were once only the prodigal children now dare believe that we really are the beloved children of the Father. This Father who has loved us with an everlasting love. So now, let us come together, yes, in all of our brokenness, in all of our woundedness, but also in all of our belovedness, to share with one another the impact God has had on our lives and the impact that He continues to have in our lives, so that our curses may become crosses and our crosses may truly become blessings. So welcome home, my beloved brothers and sisters. Hello, brothers and sisters. I pray you are well. Today I offer to you the seven last words of Christ, a meditation and reflection that really um, is a tradition that dates back to the 17th century, um, where um, we meditate upon the seven final words that our Lord um, speaks from the cross. So let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of our faith. We thank you for the gift of, of this time together, but most importantly, the gift of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, whom in the fullness of time you have sent into the world to deliver us from our sins and to put to death once and for all sin and death so that we may come to have eternal life, so that we may one day be with you in paradise. We ask you to give us the grace to, to follow your son, to follow our Lord Jesus Christ to the mountains, but also to Golgotha, to the cross, unreservedly, because we know that if we were to die with Christ, we would also rise with him, that the cross isn't the end, because the cross always leads to the resurrection. We ask you to move us, open our hearts, Humble us and give us a heart that beats with love, that beats for love of you and for our brothers and sisters. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as we go through these last seven words of Christ, there will be some background music just, just to help us reflect and put us in a relaxing mode and a, more of a, a, a mood of, of, of meditating. And hopefully you'll find these reflections and meditations um, helpful, and hopefully they can help you grow deeper in, in, in your prayer life and in relating to our Lord and to see how these last seven words of our Lord really, although it was spoken about 2,000 years ago, speaks to us as loudly and clearly today. The first word in the cross that the Lord utters is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. After our Lord was arrested, questioned, mocked, spat upon, scourged, pushed, 
treated as if he was subhuman. Forced to carry a cross, but before that he was he was accused of something he didn't do. And yet he remained silent. And he just took the cross and embraced it, kissed it, and carried it. Carried the cross all the way to Golgotha. And as the soldiers pierced those nails into his hands, fixed it onto the wood of the cross, he looked up to you. And he looks to you and he knows that you have a plan. Your plan is greater. Your plan, Father, is for the good of mankind. It's for the good so that we may all receive salvation. And yet, our Lord on the cross had many reasons to to be resentful, to be angry, to to want to yell back at at, at those who hurt him, those who nailed these nails into his hands. Yet, the words he chooses to say is, "Father, forgive them. They know not what they do." Forgive them. How, Lord? How how is it, Lord, that that you can say forgive them when they treated you such unjustly and harshly? Teach us to forgive, especially when it is difficult. Because you forgive. Because in forgiving, you're really allowing you to speak through us, to work through us. For they know not what they do. Lord, if they really knew who you were, if they really knew who sent you, they wouldn't have done what they did to you. So truly then, you say, forgive them for they know not what they do. In the same way, Lord, I think my brothers and sisters in our own lives, I think sometimes we get hurt by people and others hurt us and sometimes we we get angry and we want to get even with them. But but if we take a step back and look at it from the outside, if they really knew who we were, if they really had that personal connection that one-on-one rapport with us, they probably wouldn't have done what they may have done to hurt us. And so most of the times I do believe that hurt and uncharity and unkindness really comes from a place of ignorance, a place of, of not knowing. And so the next time something happens to us that makes us um, in pain or hurtful, let us forgive because perhaps those who hurt us truly do not know what they do. The second word is today you will be with me in paradise. 
hung on the either side of our Lord is two deep is our, our two thieves or sometimes they're called uh, revolutionaries and they they were truly criminals and, and so they were put to death for for a crime that they have committed and of course there's the bad thief who who sort of makes fun of Jesus and he says you know save yourself or or you know save us too if you are the son of God or if you are this powerful person but then on the other side of our Lord is this repentant thief um, who who sort of rebukes the other guy saying no don't don't say that do you have no fear in God and yet he says Lord remember me when you come to your kingdom And our Lord says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Think about that. The first person that our Lord promises heaven is a thief, a sinner, who's been sentenced to death for a crime. So brothers and sisters, God's love and mercy is is unconditional, is boundless. If only we have the desire to repent, the desire to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Our Lord will say to us, today you will be with me in paradise. Because our Lord came to earth precisely to do that, to bring us to the Father. But we need to want it. And if we do want communion with God, then that means we must turn away from sin. And that's what this thief here is showing, this repentant thief, seeing this mistake, I think um, some, some tradition has, him, has his name as. And perhaps this person never really heard of Jesus. They didn't really know him, but yet something, something in his heart felt that Jesus was someone special. He was the Lord. He was a Savior. Who can bring him into his kingdom? What faith? And that's an act of faith, brothers and sisters, that we must make every day. An act of faith saying, Lord, re remember me when you come into your kingdom. I do want to be with you and the Father. Help me turn away from my sins so that I can one day be with you in paradise. What are some of the things that keep us from wanting to be with the Lord in paradise? What are some of the things that hold us back from repenting, from turning away from our sins? What are those things that, that sort of keep us and hold us back? Let us bring them to the Lord here on the cross and let our Lord put them on the cross, nail them to the cross, give it to him so that he may bring us to himself.
The next word is, Woman, behold your son. Behold your mother. On the cross, our Lord looks at his sorrowful mother. You know, Mary's only, only baby boy. Her only child, her only son is now dying on a cross. Imagine her anguish. Imagine her pain. Imagine her sorrow. And our Lord must have felt helpless. He must have felt very sorry to see his mother like that. He must have felt very bad that because of what he needs to do to carry out the Father's will, Mary is feeling this pain. But Mary knew this because Simeon had told her that a sword will pierce her heart because her son will be the cause of the rise and fall of many. So Mary was prepared, but it still hurts. And our Lord, being a faithful son and an obedient son, made sure that his mother was taken care of. And so he entrusts her to John, the beloved disciple. But at the same time, our Lord also entrusts John to Mary's care. And by extension, Jesus entrusts us to Mary's care. That as our Lord breathes his final breaths, he cares only for others. He cares only for his mother. He cares only for his disciples. He cares only for his church, his body his mystical body here on earth. That's, that's love, divine love, unconditional love. How do we respond sometimes when, when we are faced with a difficult challenge or a situation that that may put us in a very precarious situation. Do we think of ourselves first, you know? You know, we live in a society that is very much um, every man for himself. But yet our Lord shows that even at a point of death, he wishes, he wishes to make sure everyone around him is taken care of. That his church, whom he have founded, will be in good hands, in Mary's hands. May we, brothers and sisters, do the same, that the, the next time something happens in our lives that would cause us to um, shut down and, and care for ourselves only, may we remember this and instead care for others and make provisions for those who are less fortunate and more vulnerable than we are.
The fourth word is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From Psalm 22. Now, some people say that Jesus was really in a state of despair because he uttered, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But we know that's not the case. In fact, Jesus was quoting the psalm. By saying the first verse, he really is saying the entire psalm, which ends with hope, hope in the Lord. And so our Lord isn't despairing on the cross because that would go against his nature, right? Our Lord wasn't hopeless. He wasn't in despair, but rather he was saying, he was putting, he was fulfilling what the psalmist is saying in there. That even in the state of suffering, even in the state of seemingly abandonment, he still trusts. He still trusts in God because he knows that God will deliver him. In the same way for us, brothers and sisters, sometimes the Lord allows us to feel his absence. But that's not because he chooses to withdraw his love from us. But because an absence, a perceived absence, should make us have a deeper longing for him. In the same way, when we are away from family or friends for a long time, it makes us want to see them. It makes us grow in deeper love with them. So that when we meet again, there is that um, strong embrace and a deep love. So in the same way, the perceived absence of God on our part is actually a grace, a grace to deepen our love for God and deepen our desire for Him. Because as we will come to see in the um, next word, this desire of God for us um, is something that is very profound that that God desires us so may we never despair may we never feel as if God has abandoned us because at those moments when we feel that God is not with us he's actually holding us he's actually embracing us he's actually carrying us saying look i know you feel the whole world is collapsing i know you feel as if everything is going wrong but i'm right there with you i'm right here with you i will never forsake you the fifth word is i thirst I thirst. Our Lord on the cross to fulfill what is said in scripture, he says, I thirst, but but this I thirst isn't really just about water. We think back to the woman at the well. He also says, give me a drink. He thirsts, but he thirsts only to give us a drink. Our Lord thirsts not for water, not for something to wet his mouth but he thirsts for our salvation 
He thirsts for love of you and of me. He thirsts for love of us. He thirsts so that we may thirst for him. You know, the Church Father says that our Lord's food is to do, is to, is to, is to do the will of the Father, which is the salvation of souls. That that his his food, what keeps him going, is our salvation. We see clearly on the cross that he gives his entire life over for our salvation. He empties himself. He empties himself, takes on our human nature so that he may thirst for us, thirst for our salvation. He empties himself so that he can fill us with his life. Do we thirst for him? Do we thirst for the living God? Do we thirst for the living waters? Do we thirst for the life that never ends? God wants to give this to us. Do we want it? Do we thirst for God? The sixth word is, it is finished. Our Lord was sent to earth to complete the Father's will, to carry out the plan of salvation. And it is on the cross that he says, it is finished. The will of God is carried out. The plan of our salvation is completed. So now he may depart in peace. When our Lord dies on a cross, and to the soldiers, to those around him, to his enemies, it may seem as if they won. Oh yeah, it is finished. You're dead. But this finished isn't a finish of earthly life. It's a completion, a perfection of the Father's will. Because we know in, the, in three days he will rise from the dead, bringing about transforming life. Because, you know, all those people that our Lord raised from the dead in, in his miracles, um, they will die again, right? Lazarus died again. Everyone else died again. Because that raising from the dead isn't the same as our Lord's resurrection. But now, because it is finished, because the work is completed, and that he rose from the dead, definitively defeating death and sin and evil, that life is transformed so that we too may share in his resurrection. It is in dying that he gives us life. 
It is in finishing. It is in His finishing that we have a new starting, a new beginning. Everything that the Lord has done in His life here on earth is so that we might start anew. We might have a chance to really experience His divine love, to truly live in the freedom that His Father wills for each one of us. So truly, it is finished. It is finished so that we may now start our new life in Him. And finally, the seventh word, into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. Notice that Jesus has control of when he chooses to breathe his last. He has control on when he hands his spirit over. Hence he said in the gospel, no one can take his life from him. He lays it down and he raises it up as he wishes. But so that we may come to believe, so that we may come to have new life, he lays it down and he commends his spirit to the Father for us. Our Lord on this on the cross in this final word, he gives over his spirit. He gives over his breath. He breathes his last so that his very last breath is what gives us new life. His last breath is reminiscent of the breath of life in Genesis when God created man. We're told that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, his very breath. In the same way, our Lord now on the cross, breathing, the new Adam, breathing his last, breathing the breath of life into us, into the church. That his dying breath, the essence of life, is given to us. And here we also see that the very last thing our Lord does is to commend himself to the Father. Because often he tells us that he does nothing on his own, but only what the Father has told him. For he and the Father are one. And he wishes that just as he and the Father are one, we too might be one with him. Brothers and sisters, do we put our entire lives into the Father's hands? 
Do we trust that he has a plan for us? Do we trust that he loves us? Do we trust that whatever it is, good, difficult sorrows, he will take care of? Do we believe that he can bring life out of death, joy out of sorrow, and hope out of despair? Because he can. He can. And he wants to. But the question is, will we let him? May we, like our Lord, place our entire body, our soul, our entire life into the hands of the Father. Because when we do, we will be given life. Life that will never end. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for loving us so much that you died for us, that you willingly laid down your life so that we might have new life in you. Teach us to love like you. Teach us to sacrifice like you. Teach us to forgive like you. Teach us to trust and believe like you. So that as you have said, we might be one as you and the Father are one. We adore your Christ and we bless you because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. God bless you, brothers and sisters. For more audios, videos, blog entries, and other resources, please visit us at www.belovedsonministry.org.